First Baptist Melbourne podcast, making disciples here and everywhere for the glory of God. Would you pray with me? Father, we know that there is in this world so much emptiness and so much hopelessness. But Father, you want to bring us from your word a message of hope on this day. And Father, we pray by your Holy Spirit's power that you would speak to each of us, no matter where we've been, no matter what is going on in our lives right now. A message of hope in a way that we would receive it. Father, in these moments, that we would truly encounter you, that we would be changed by the hope that your risen Son brings to us, and we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Well, again, I'm so thankful that uh, you are here with us on this most special day of the year where we celebrate as believers the hope that we have because Jesus, our Savior, has risen from the dead. Uh, but, you know, I don't know uh, everyone who is here today uh, personally, and so uh, I, I don't know what different emotions uh, you might have when it comes to this, uh, this Easter uh, but, you know, sometimes a, a person's emotions, you can really even just see it on uh, their face. And uh, again, I don't know what emotions you might be feeling. Hopefully for many of us, most of us, the emotion that we feel on Easter is one of joy. And it should be joy because Jesus uh, has been raised back to life. Uh, when I think about that emotion of joy being on someone's face, this is a picture that was taken last weekend at our Spring Up event. And I mean, that is joy right there. You know, he's seeing those sprinkles being put on. And, and for the grown-ups, do you remember when that was all it took, right? All it took was just seeing uh, some sprinkles on a cookie and it just filled you uh, with joy. But, but hopefully uh, joy is the emotion that, that fills you this Easter. But I mean, I, I don't know, maybe there's, there's some who are here and you know, you're kind of angry about being here. You really don't want to be here. Maybe you wish you were sleeping in or you wish you were at the beach or somebody woke you up this morning, made you get dressed and come down here. And you know, this picture is a couple years old, but, but this, this picture just always, this is Splash Mountain at Disney World. You see the lady like three rows up and that's like the camera shot on the ride, right? She is not loving life. She's at the happiest place on earth, and she is not happy about it. But again, um, I don't know. Maybe angry is, is the feeling. Or may, maybe you're just, maybe just indifferent. You know, maybe just apathetic. You can kind of take or leave Easter. It doesn't really do anything for you one way or, or another. This kid right here, this UCF student, uh, kind of became an internet sensation last year because at every game, this is what he would do. He would just stare down the camera. It didn't matter what anybody was doing around them. Team was scoring, winning, losing. That's what he was doing, just, just staring. And again, maybe that's what you feel, just an indifference, a, a, an apathy about Easter. But but, you know, I think that there are also some, even in this room, and while it may not show up on your face, what you really feel like on the inside is hopeless. And there might be a lot of reasons why you feel hopeless today, and we'll talk in a minute about what some of those might, 
might be. But, but if that's you, if you're here today and you feel hopeless, first of all, I'm, again, I'm so thankful you're here. And, and I hope that you will hear today what God wants to say to you because there is hope for the hopeless. And that's what Easter is about. Easter is about a living hope. And what we're going to see today is that the kind of hopefulness that God wants us to have is much more than a feeling that comes and goes. That the hopefulness that he wants us to have is a confident expectation of what we know will happen in the future in our lives and even in the world as a whole because of what already did happen that first Easter Sunday morning. Our hope is built on the fact that the tomb of Jesus of Nazareth is empty. We're mainly today going to look at one verse that was written by a man named Peter. Peter was one of Jesus' 12 disciples, and this verse is found in a letter that he wrote that's called 1 Peter. And here's the verse, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And when I read that verse, the words that really jump out to me more than any others are are those two words, living hope. Because again, that is what Easter is about. It's about a living hope that we can have because Jesus Christ is alive. You know, when you strip everything else away, I really believe that there are two kinds of people in the world. There are those who who are hopeful who have encountered the living hope that Peter writes about in this verse. And then there are those who are hopeless. There's the hopeful and the hopeless. And so let's start out just by thinking for a few minutes about the hopeless. You know, what really amazes me is that the man who wrote those words, Peter, was not always so hopeful. And there was a time in Peter's own life when he was hopeless also. And I think that's part of what makes me like Peter so much, is he's so relatable for us. And when you read the, the four accounts in the Bible that tell the story of Jesus's life, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, Peter's name shows up quite a lot. And, and it shows up a lot because he's one of the 12 disciples again, but also because he's one of this inner circle of three disciples that was closest to the Lord Jesus. And then even more than that, Peter is, is kind of like the spokesman for the disciples. And so he talks a lot in the four gospel accounts. And sometimes he gets it just, he hits the nail on the head. Uh, But other times he misses it by a mile. And again, I think we can relate to that. Peter always speaks his mind for better or for worse. And so on the night before Jesus died on the cross, he told his disciples that all of them were going to desert him that night. He said, when they come to arrest me, they're going to strike the shepherd and all the sheep are going to be scattered. And Peter did not like Jesus saying that. He said, Jesus, even if everybody else is made to stumble, even if everybody else runs away, I'm not going to run away. And that's when Jesus said this to Peter. He said to Peter, this night, I tell you the truth, before the rooster crows, you're going to deny that you even know me three times. And Peter didn't like that either. And so he said to Jesus, Jesus, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. 
Well, after that conversation, Jesus and the disciples went to a garden called Gethsemane. And it was there in that garden that they came with clubs and torches to arrest Jesus and take him away to his trial. And just as Jesus had predicted, all of the disciples ran away. Now, somewhat to his credit, Peter does follow Jesus at a distance all the way to the high priest's house where the first part of Jesus' trial took place. But Peter hung out back in the courtyard and warmed himself by the fire. And the problem was that people started to recognize Peter. They started to say, you're, you're one of his disciples, aren't you? I, I've seen you. They say, your accent gives you away. You're from Galilee, just like Jesus was. You are one of his disciples. And three times Peter said, no, I'm not. In fact, finally he said, I do not know the man. And as soon as he had said that for the third time, the Bible says immediately a rooster crowed. And Peter remembered how Jesus said that he would deny him. And one of the gospel accounts even tells us this, that at that very moment, they were leading Jesus across that same courtyard. And right after the rooster crowed, he turned and looked at Peter in the eyes. Can you imagine that? Seeing the eyes of Jesus right after you had just denied him. And Peter went away and wept bitterly. He was broken over what he had done. Of course, we know what happened next after a sham trial that took place throughout the hours of the night. The next morning at nine in the morning, Jesus was nailed to a wooden cross. Now, this is what he came to do. He came to die for our sins in our place. But at this moment in the story, the disciples really don't understand what's happening. They don't understand why their Lord is dying. They're confused. At three o'clock in the afternoon, Jesus died, and they took his body down from the cross, and they wrapped it in a linen cloth, and they laid it in a tomb, and they rolled across the entrance to the tomb a large stone. And even though Jesus had told his disciples beforehand that he would rise again on the third day, they either did not remember it or did not believe it. And so for three days, the disciples were huddled together in fear, thinking that they would be next. And as Peter was there huddling together in fear with the other disciples, you can only imagine what was running through his mind, the last thing that he had done denying the name of Jesus. Peter was scared. Peter was guilty. Peter was ashamed. Peter was confused. But in a word, at this moment at least, Peter was hopeless. And Peter wasn't the only one. And he hasn't been the only one since who has felt hopeless. Now, there's a lot of people who feel even today like Peter. And like the video we watched just before the message reminded us, some people are, are empty because they say it's, it's hopeless. Or at least that's how they feel. They feel like it's hopeless. People feel empty inside and hopeless for a number of, of different reasons. But maybe you're here today and, and that's how you feel. Maybe you feel hopeless today because you've just lost someone that was very special to you in your life. Or maybe a relationship has, has just ended and you feel hopeless because you don't know how you're going to move forward without that person in your life. 
Maybe you feel hopeless today because you just feel trapped, even financially. You feel like you're, you're under a mountain of debt and you don't know how you're going to get out from it. You don't know how your life is going to be able to move forward from the place where you are now. Or maybe you feel hopeless because your career or your life in general has just not turned out or worked out according to the dream that you had for it. And you just feel like I'm always going to be stuck in neutral. I'm never going to get to the place where I thought my life was going to go. And maybe you feel hopeless today because there's something in your life, maybe an addiction or, or something that just has a, a stranglehold on your life. And no matter how many times you've tried to break free from that, you just haven't been able to. And you don't have any hope that the future is going to be any different for you than the past. And I do know this, that it's not just adults that can feel hopeless like that. And increasingly today, young people, teenagers, college students, 20-somethings feel hopeless too. And they can get to a place where they feel so hopeless and they feel so desperate and they feel like they have no means of escape that they end up making a decision that not only destroys their own life but harms everyone around them that loves them. And there are so many people in this world, young and old, who feel hopeless. And again, in a room this size, it's almost certainly the case that there are some of you here who can relate to that. And yet what I hope you hear on this Easter Sunday morning is that if you are hopeless today, you don't have to stay hopeless. Because there is hope, and Easter is the reason why there is. We've talked about the hopeless, but let's talk for a minute about the hopeful. Because you can be hopeful today. In fact, the God who made you wants you to be. He wants to give you a hope that can never be taken away. Again, that's what Peter wrote about in 1 Peter 1.3. He wrote about this, this living hope that is the possession of every disciple, every follower of Jesus Christ. And, and here's the thing about biblical hope. When the Bible talks about hope, it doesn't use the word hope the way we use the word hope. We talk about hope like, you know, I hope something will happen. Like, I hope that maybe I'll have a steak later today. Right? I hope that it won't rain tomorrow and so I can go to the beach. I hope that my team will win the game. Right? But we're saying things that might happen or things that might not happen. Right? We just hope that they're going to happen. Well, that's not at all what Peter means when he writes about this living hope. He's speaking about something that is not just a feeling, something that is not just wishful thinking. He's speaking about something that we know will happen. That we know that if we know Christ, we will be resurrected one day and will live forever with the Lord. Why? Because of the fact of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that has already taken place. Our hope is based on the empty tomb. Now listen, this living hope that we're talking about does not mean that we are promised to have an easy, comfortable, problem-free life. That's not what we as believers are even hoping for. In, in fact, this, this letter of 1 Peter that Peter wrote was written to a group of Christians who were being severely persecuted for their faith in Jesus Christ. Peter himself, who wrote these words, would later be martyred for his faith in Jesus Christ. So he's not saying that our hope is based on a comfortable life in this life, but he's writing about a hope that cannot be taken away. 
People could hurt these believers, but they could not hurt their hope. People could even kill these believers, but they could not kill their hope because it's a living hope in a living Savior who promised us, I am the resurrection and the life. And if you believe in me, even if you die, you will live again. That is our living hope. And I love how this one verse, 1 Peter 1.3, in this verse, Peter explains how that living hope can become ours. And again, he's writing to believers who already had that living hope. And he, that's why he starts out the way he does. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying to these other Christians, praise the Father. Bless God with me because of this hope that he has given to us. But then he explains how that hope came to be theirs and how that hope can come to be ours. The first thing that he says is we have a living hope because of God's great mercy. Look again at that verse with me. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who according to his abundant mercy. So the first reason why we can have a living hope is because of God's great mercy because our God is a merciful God. And that's an important truth because every single one of us needs God's mercy tremendously. Now, maybe you're here and you don't know why you need that mercy. Or you feel like, I don't really feel like I need mercy. I don't really feel like I need the hope that you're talking about. Because, you know, I mean, I hear you, Pastor. There's a lot of people out there who are hopeless, who are down and discouraged. But, but you know, that's not me. You know, I'm not down. I'm not discouraged. I, I feel pretty good. My life is good. I, I, I'm hopeful already for the future. I don't really feel like I need that mercy. I don't really feel like I need that hope that you're talking about. And if that's you, then, then what I would ask you is this. If you're hopeful about the future, what is your hope for the future based on? Because according to the word of God, if your hope for the future is based on anything other than Jesus Christ, then it is a false hope. Because whatever it is that is giving you hope right now will one day let you down if it is not Jesus Christ. And the reason why I say that is because the Bible teaches us that one day every single one of us is going to die and is going to stand before the God who made us. And we're going to give an account for our lives before him. We're going to stand before a God who is holy and who is righteous and who is perfect in all his ways. We're going to stand before a God who knows everything, who sees everything, who can see right through us. And what he tells us in his word is that it only takes one sin. It only takes one time that we have not lived up to the perfect standard of his word to separate us from a perfect and holy God. Only one sin separates us from him and removes us from his presence forever. And I think you and I would both agree to this, that we've all sinned a lot more than one time in our life. I remember back when I was in elementary school, they had a, I don't even think they can do this anymore, but they didn't care about it back then. When you got in trouble, they would write your name up on the blackboard. And then they'd put a check beside it. I always hated getting a check beside my name because that meant that I had to miss out on five minutes of recess. 
And I was like any other kid, right? I mean, I went to school for recess, right? And so to lose five minutes of that was, was the worst, right? And then if you got a second check, you lost five more minutes. Now you're missing out on 10 minutes of recess. If you got three checks beside your name, you miss out on all the recess. If you got a fourth check, I don't really remember what happened at that point. I think you had to go see the principals. I just know it wasn't a good day for you, right? If you got that many checks. But, but here's what I want you to think about. If God has a blackboard with your name on it, how many checks would be beside your name? If he put a check beside your name for every time you ever said something or did something or thought something that did not please him according to his word. How, how many checks would be beside your name? How many whole blackboards would be filled up, amen, with checks beside your name and beside my name? And again, the Bible tells us it doesn't take that many checks. It only takes one to separate us from him. And so what that means is we would all be in a totally hopeless situation right now because we are all sinners. We all deserve the judgment and the wrath of God. We would all be in a hopeless situation unless somehow God found a way to show us mercy. Here's what God cannot do. God cannot just say, well, I'm going to show you mercy, so we'll just, how about just between me and you, we just pretend like this never happened. That's what God cannot do. He can't just lift up a rug and sweep all of our sin underneath because if he did that, he would no longer be a just God. Now, the Bible says every sin has to be dealt with somehow. Either it has to be dealt with with us or someone else has to pay for it so that God can show us mercy. And I hope that you already see it. That's exactly what happened at the cross. That is why Jesus Christ came. That is why he died. The Bible says that on the cross, all of my sin and all of your sin was laid on his shoulders, that he paid for it with his body and with his blood. In fact, it says in the book of Colossians, I love this so much, it says that the handwriting that was written against us, imagine a, a long sheet of paper with your name on it and all the check marks of all of the sins you've ever committed. It says in Colossians that that handwriting that, that was against us was nailed to the cross. And you can even just picture it in your mind as the blood of Jesus ran down that cross and as it touched the sheet of paper with your name on it, that all of the check marks against you were wiped away. This is why he can show us great, great mercy. And we need that mercy far more than we realize. But the Bible does not say that we automatically receive that mercy. The Bible does not say that everyone in the world is automatically saved and is automatically going to be with the Lord in heaven because of the death of Christ. No, the Bible says we have to receive that gift into our life by faith. That something has to happen on the inside of us. And, and that something that has to happen on the inside of us is the second reason why Peter says we can have living hope in this verse. He says it's because we have been born again. In the verse again, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his abundant mercy has begotten us again. When the Bible speaks about our salvation, that's the language that it uses, the language of being born again, being born all over again spiritually from the inside out. And notice God is the one who does this work. He has begotten us again. 
In John chapter 3, there was a very religious man named Nicodemus. You may remember who came to see Jesus one night. And Jesus said these words to him. John chapter 3, Jesus answered him and said, Most assuredly I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. That which is born of flesh is flesh. That which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. This is pretty straightforward, isn't it? Jesus is saying either you're going to be born again and you'll be with me in heaven or you're not. He said, you must be born again. That has to happen, Nicodemus, in your life. And according to Jesus, it's not enough just to be a religious or a spiritual person. Nicodemus was a very religious person. Nicodemus knew more about the Bible than we do. He had large portions of the Old Testament of the Bible memorized. And he was very committed to living out as best he could the things that he read in the Word of God. People in Nicodemus's culture looked up to him. They held him up on a pedestal. He was one of the good guys. And yet Jesus looked at Nicodemus that night and said, Nicodemus, it's not enough. What you have tried to do is not nearly enough. He looked at Nicodemus and he said, Nicodemus, you must be born again or you will not see the kingdom of heaven. We're going to talk more in a minute about how that change can happen inside of our lives. But before we even do that, we need to remember why it's even possible. Why is it even possible that all the things that we've been talking about can happen? How is it possible that God can show us this mercy? That God can cause us to be born again? That we can have this kind of living hope that we're talking about? It's possible because of Easter. It's possible because of the last phrase of this verse. He says, all of this is yours and mine through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Friends, we can have a living hope today because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I hope you hear me on this. If that did not happen, if Jesus Christ had never come, if Jesus had never died, if Jesus had stayed dead and had never risen again, then we would be hopeless. We would have nothing to look forward to beyond this life. We would only be looking forward to a certain judgment that would come to each of us. If Jesus was not raised again, then we would not be hopeful today, or at least we should not be hopeful today. We should all be hopeless. But because Easter did happen, because Christ did rise up from the grave, there is hope for every single one of us in this room. And our hope is completely based on the fact that the tomb is empty and that Christ is alive. That's why Peter calls our hope a living hope. Listen listen to this. Our hope should be just as alive as Jesus is. And since he is alive, our hope should be too. You know, earlier we said that after Jesus' death on the cross, Peter was hopeless, and he was. He was huddling together in fear with all the other disciples. He was scared. He was alone. He was, he was hopeless. And so think about it with me. What, what changed? 
right? What, what happened? What, what transformed Peter from, from a hiding scaredy cat who was scared that he was going to be crucified next to the bold proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus that we read about in the book of Acts who did not care if he died because of his faith in Jesus Christ? What changed? Now, we already know what changed. What changed was Easter. What changed was because on that Easter Sunday morning, there were some women who went to the tomb when the sun was coming up. And they went there because they thought they were going to wrap Jesus' body with spices and anoint him for his burial. And when they got there, they found that the stone had been rolled away and that Jesus' body was gone. Here's what Luke's gospel says happened next. And it happened as they were greatly perplexed about this, that behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. And then as they were afraid and bowed their faces to the earth, they said to them, why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but is risen. Remember how he spoke to you when he was still in Galilee, saying the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again. And then the women ran back to tell Peter and the other disciples what had happened. And as soon as Peter heard it, he took off and ran for the tomb. And John's gospel tells us John ran along with him. And when Peter got there, listen to these words, Peter arose and ran to the tomb and stooping down, he saw the linen cloths lying by themselves and he departed marveling to himself at what had happened. What happened to Peter? What transformed Peter from hopeless to hopeful was the empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Now, after this, Peter saw the risen Lord with his own eyes. And Jesus forgave him for denying him three times. And Jesus restored him. And Jesus would go on to use Peter, as we know, in amazing ways in his life. But the reason why he was never hopeless again goes back to what he saw that Easter Sunday morning. The emptiness of the tomb was the reason why he was never hopeless again. You know, we said earlier that some are empty because it's hopeless. Oh, but church, some are hopeful because it's empty. And friend, you can be too. Just like Peter did. You can go from hopeless to hopeful today if you would turn and put your faith in the risen Christ. Maybe you've been hopeless for so long, you almost, you just, don't even, you almost just don't even want to hope that there is a reason to hope. But, but what if, friend, what if the God who made you and put you on this planet loves you more than you can even fathom? What if the God who made you loves you so much that he loves you even in spite of all of the sin that you've committed? And what if the gospel account is true? What if God loves you so much that he sent his son Jesus, that he died on the cross in your place, that he paid with his own life for everything that you have ever done wrong? And what if on the third day he rose again from the grave? What if you could have a new purpose in your life from this day forward? What if something could change inside of you and give you a new reason for living? What if you could have a hope that would never be taken away, that you will be with your God 
forever and ever. What if that kind of hope was available to you? And friend, it is. And that's the living hope that your God wants to give you today if you don't already have it. And that living hope is found in Jesus. You know, if somebody were to ask me and say, well, Scott, you know, where, where in the Bible? Just most simply, where, where does it say most simply what I need to do to receive that living hope that you've been talking about into my life? I, I don't think there's any place in the Bible that puts it more simply than Romans chapter 10 where it says this, that if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus, you say with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, I'm gonna follow him as my Lord and my master from this day forward. And you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Look at what it says next. You will be saved. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. And I can't help but think that in a room this size that there is someone who is ready on this Easter Sunday morning to do exactly that, to call on the Lord, to say with your mouth, Jesus is my Lord, and to believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, that you might be saved and forgiven and transformed. And I want to give you that opportunity. I want to ask that every head would be bowed all across this room. For just a moment, every eye closed and every head bowed. And if that is you, friend, if you know that God is speaking to you and that you need to open up your heart to him right now. Just from your heart to God's ears, would you just say something like this to him? Just say, God, I know. I know that I'm a sinner. I know, God, that there would be more check marks on that blackboard than I can count. And God, I know that that's because in my heart I have been in rebellion against you. God, I've been living the way that I want to instead of how you created me to live. God, I not only come and confess my sin to you, but Lord, I want to change. God, would you give me the power and the strength from this day forward to live in a way that would please you? God, thank you that your son Jesus paid for all of my sin in full. And I believe with all my heart that he rose again on the third day. And so God, I wanna ask that your son Jesus would come into my life, that I might be born again, that I might become a new person, transformed from the inside out. And God, thank you for saving me, just like you promised. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Church, can we celebrate right now with anyone in this room that has just prayed that prayer to receive Jesus into their heart? And, you know, the Bible says that the angels in heaven celebrate whenever one person reaches out from a true heart of faith to believe in the Lord. And, you know, you know and the Lord knows the sincerity and the authenticity of your heart. And if that decision that you have made is an authentic decision, then it's not just going to be a one-day decision. It's going to be the beginning of a journey, a lifetime journey 
of following the Lord Jesus. And as a church, we just want to come alongside and we want to help you uh, with that. And so, uh, again, in, in your worship folder that you receive, there's a little card that you can just tear out of that worship folder, a connection card. And on that connection card, there's a few boxes there. And just ask you to put your name on that and, and to put a way that we can reach you. And then there's a box there that says, I prayed to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. And if you made that decision today for the very first time, then we want to know about that. We want to be able to rejoice with you and we want to be able to help you any way that we can. Maybe you weren't ready to make that decision today. You just want to talk with someone. There's a place there that says, I have questions about what it means to become a Christian. We'd love to just begin that dialogue with you. Then also there's a box on there that says this. It says, I'd like to be baptized at the beach on April 28th, next Sunday morning, next Sunday afternoon. You know, we only do that once a year uh, where we go to the beach and we have a baptism service right there in the Atlantic Ocean. It's pretty neat that we get to do that, uh, living right here in Melbourne, right on the water. And you know, really that's the way that you go public with your faith in Jesus. It really doesn't say in the Bible anything about walking down an aisle in a church service, but it talks a lot in the Bible about baptism. That when we are baptized, we're saying to the world, I am not ashamed to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And so maybe you just prayed that prayer today for the very first time. Next Sunday, you could follow in obedience to the Lord in believer's baptism. We'd love to talk with you about that if you would just check that. Maybe you have been a Christian for a long time, maybe for many, many years, but you have never been baptized. You've never been obedient to the Lord in that area of, of your life. Or maybe you were baptized as an infant or as a child, but it's been since then that as an adult, you've come to put your faith in Christ. And you want to get your baptism on the right side of your salvation, where it always falls in the word of God, as always after a person has believed in Jesus. And so if that is you, you can check that. We'd reach out to you this week about that. And we'd love to be able to celebrate with all of those who have trusted Christ as their Savior next week at the beach for that baptism time. And church, let's, let's stand together as we worship our risen Christ. He is the reason for the hope that we have. We don't have to be empty today because the tomb is empty. And we don't have to be hopeless today because our hope is Jesus Christ and he is risen. Let's sing together.